I grew up in this era where you know, we kind of thought you had to learn everything by the school of hard knocks. And I'm so not into that. I think if you, know, if you or I hold a piece of knowledge that we can share with somebody that, you know, coming up and stop them from you know, stumbling and, and making mistakes, why wouldn't you share that? I'd love to see more leaders mentor. I think it's, it's a two-way street. When I mentor young female and male entrepreneurs or business grads or people starting their careers, I learn more from them or as much from them or I get as much you know, positive energy and fuel from them as I'm giving them. And it's one of the best things I do. You're listening to The Business of Thought Leadership with Nikki Ballou and Michael Palmer. Welcome to another exciting edition of the podcast, The Business of Thought Leadership. I'm your co-host, Nikki Ballou. I'm your other co-host, Michael Palmer. And today's guest is someone that I consider a personal friend, someone that I admire greatly as a titan in Canadian business. I am speaking, of course, of none other than the one, the only, the legendary businessman, Bruce Bowser, CEO and principal owner of AMJ Camel Lines. Welcome to the podcast, Bruce. Thank you, Nikki. Thank you, Mike. Good to be with you. It's great to have you. So, Bruce, the name of this podcast is The Business of Thought Leadership. People are really interested in how you've taken a business which in in many senses seems to be, you know, an ordinary business, right, which is moving and logistics and whatnot, and turn it into a winner, an absolutely sexy business from the point of view of growth and success. What is it in your background that allowed you to do all this? Tell us your story. Yeah, you know, I, I, a great question, Nikki, that, um, you know, I get asked a lot, and you and I were talking earlier. Well, we, we actually saw each other earlier at the gym this morning, and, um, you know, that's where you and I met was... Um, to our good friend uh, Mark McCoy, that's right. Uh, working out and and so you know I think a large part of you know what makes me tick and something that we've incorporated into the culture of our business is that this whole sense of um, of athletics. So AMJ Campbell, you know, has been associated with um, you know with the Canadian Olympic teams with all sorts of professional teams over the years, and it really just it hasn't been just a marketing ploy for us. I mean, it has done well marketing wise, but it's been about that sense of the characteristics that um, athletes bring to their, you know, to their sport, things like commitment, dedication, excellence, you know, never good enough, always trying to, to strive to be better, you know, growing up, being athletic, playing hockey, um, being involved in sports, being around sport. I just, I think I, I learned at an early age that, um, you know, those same characteristics, you can carry them into business. So, you know, at AMJ, that's a big part of our culture. You know, even when I yeah, I began my career thirty um, some years ago, out of university as a young banker in Halifax, worked worked for the Bank of Nova Scotia, and, and spent ten years with the bank, or almost ten years, eight and a half years at the bank. And you know, even as a young banker, I mean, you know, I had the same sort of drive and ambition to just to stand out from the crowd and you know not accept mediocrity. You know, just really wanted to be. Um, an achiever and, and be the best at my game. So, you know, started when I was a young man. That's powerful. You know, one of the things that Michael and I preach is what we call a strategy of preeminence. And that's all about being the very best at what you do. A lot of the folks who listen to this are entrepreneurs. 
some of them are solopreneurs in that they do their own thing, like consultants, coaches, and whatnot. And we have a contingent of folks who are listening to this who are dreaming of starting their entrepreneurial journey, Bruce. You know what I mean? They could be like you were back when you were a banker at the Bank of uh, Nova Scotia thinking, I'm working here. This is fine. But I've got bigger dreams for myself. I want to go out there and create my own dream. I want to shake the tree of life as hard as I can and see what falls out. What is it that allowed you to make that leap from being an employee to being an entrepreneur and get past what I'm sure were some, were some fears that were there along the way, like everyone has faced on their entrepreneurial journey? Yeah, look, I, I, I mean, I think a lot of things in life are about attitude and timing. And when I say timing, taking advantage of, of opportunities. So, um, you know, I didn't set out at the bank to, you know, to say, you know, my career path is I want to go into banking and then switch to moving. I mean, it was the farthest thing from my mind. But while I was a banker, I guess I, you know, I, and and by the way, I mean, I think banking is a, a great career. So, um, you know, t- t- for me, it was a great foundation. It's funny when I get introduced anywhere, you know, from speaking or doing something, thirty some years later, I still get introduced as a banker turned entrepreneur. Entrepreneur, so, you know, nice. I'm a big, Yes, but 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 I'm a big fan of banking. Um, but but at the time, I you know I realized that um, you know when I was dealing with entrepreneurs at the bank, that my passion maybe was more to go out and and do something where you know I I had a little more say in how the business went. I mean, banks are very structured, and um, and so you know my advice to to entrepreneurs today and to you know anybody that you know looking at at leaving a job like I had and getting out and doing something, you know one. You know, passion for me, I mean, you, you can be passionate about all sorts of different um, careers and what have you, but, but it's, you know, it's cultivating that sense of passion. And, you know, when I left the bank to join AMJ Campbell, a moving company, you know, a lot of my friends said, Bruce, you're crazy. Like, you're going to move your family from Halifax to uh, Toronto. You're going to work for a moving company. I just had this sense that, um, you know, if I made that business my passion and studied it and, you know, um, allowed my sense of curiosity and, and all those other characteristics that I talked about earlier to get into, um, you know, into that business that I would, I would do well at it. And, you know, so I just think a lot of it is about having a great attitude and you know, part of having a good attitude. And you know, this Nikki, I mean, we've talked enough is, is kind of insulating yourself from, from all the people, the, the naysayers, right? I mean, even when I, I made that decision, you know, I had a lot of my, my accountants and, you know, close friends were saying, Bruce, you're, you, you shouldn't be doing this. Like you're, you know, you're leaving the safety of the bank. You're going somewhere where you, you know, you've never been before. And I mean, that's exciting. That's the stuff that, you know, gets me out of bed in the morning, fuels me. And, and, you know, I think the sense of risk and, you know, stepping out there and trying something new. And, but to do that, I, I really believe you got to fend off the naysayers or insulate yourself somehow from, you know, from all the people who can tell you what you can't do. One of my favorite quotes at work in life is I tell people, look, I can find a thousand people to tell me how I can't do something. I just want one or two that are going to do it with me. And that's been, you know, it's been a big part of who I am. Have I done things and failed? Of course. But I'd, I'd always rather be the guy that tries 10 things and have seven of them work than the guy that sits around and spends his life thinking about doing one and never does it. It's inspiring, Bruce. And you've You've gone from an employee at a bank to then taking the leap to work in the moving industry and then eventually buying the company. That's an interesting story. Can you share how that journey progressed? Well, I I mean, again, you know, like most things, I didn't start off thinking that, you know, someday I'd be one of the, uh, you know, one of the owners of 
of AMJ Campbell, we were a publicly traded company, uh, you know, having a lot of fun doing well, growing our business. <clears throat> and then in, in 2002, kind of out of the blue, we became the target of a hostile takeover bid. And during that period of time, we, we had to make a decision as a leadership group, either to, you know, to allow the company to be sold because that's what happens in a takeover bid or put our own bid in and it's called management bid and, and Trump the bid that was on the table. And we did the latter. So look, I mean, I, I'm also quick to say that, um, you know, I get the credit for being the leader of AMJ, but it was a team of us. I mean, when we took the company private, uh, the only way that it worked for me is if we got everybody on board with us. So the key players in the company actually, um, you know, put their money up and a group of us uh, rallied together and, and created this great team that, um, allowed us to, you know, to sort of fend off the, the bid and take the company private. And it totally changed the, the culture of the business. You know, we, we had a great culture, but when you go through a battle like that with your key people, and they're all with us today, and they, we put our homes on the line, we bet the farm, a lot of us. I mean, I'll never forget, you know, sitting in the backyard with my wife at the time saying, hey, you know, this house we just built and paid for, or, um, we're going to have to mortgage it. Uh, you know, to raise money to buy back AMJ Campbell. Wow. That okay must have gone that? over well. <laughs> you know, no, but, uh, but she said, look, I've trusted you all our lives. I mean, you've, you know, you've made good decisions. Um, you know, of course I'm going to support you in this. And, and I kind of smiled and it was a pause. And then she said, um, just a question. She said, um, if you bet the firm and we lose the firm, what's the next firm going to look like? <laughs> that's funny. A good antidote, but you, you know, I think that's attitude, part of being an, an entrepreneur. Every every entrepreneur's story, uh, not every entrepreneur's, but so many entrepreneur stories. You know, they if you go back to the early days, there was there were points where you know they they had to do those gut wrenching things like mortgage their home and bet the farm and um, you know and scrounge and raise money to make payroll. And we went through all of that, you know, thank, thank God we don't go through it today, but you know, we had our moments as a group, you know, after we'd done the, the leverage takeover where it was incredibly challenging, but I mean, that's the stuff that makes for, um, you know, for great stories down the road. And I think it's also the stuff that um, you know, has helped fuel the growth of the business. I mean, you know, once we got through some of those humps, we just had this team and still have this team today that lead our industry. I mean, we, you know, we, we innovate, we do all these creative things. We, you know, we find new ways to market. We're always you know, bringing in new talent. And I think it's because of the way that team knit together in 2002, it just, it changed the fabric of the business forever. So Bruce, when you took over as president of AMJ Campbell, it was, I read it was $34 million in revenues. And by the time of the takeover, you'd grown it to over 200 million in revenues. And it's just gone from strength to strength ever since. What, what do you think is the key secret sauce that allowed you and your team to do that? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, a bunch of things, you know, our business is such, our system is such that we, we've created entrepreneurs within within our business. So, you know, a lot of our franchisees today are folks that actually started off working on the trucks. And we, you know, we've always had a program where, you know, you join AMJ, you may start, um, you know, lifting furniture 
because, you know, a lot of the people that join us um, at the very low levels of, of lifting furniture, the entry levels of lifting furniture, not low, not low levels, the entry levels of, of lifting furniture, we give them a progression path where, you know, you can go from uh, helper to driver to uh, supervisor to, you know, working in the office to sales. And we've got hundreds of those stories. We've got over 3,000 employees, hundreds of stories where, you know, employees, we've given them the opportunity to, to go out and open their own franchise. And, you know, our franchise in Kitchener, London, Windsor, um, Winnipeg, um, Halifax are made up of employees that had these opportunities and now own and run their own business. So I, I, we've been able to foster this sense of entrepreneurship uh, from day one. So, uh, you know, it hasn't been a Bruce Bowser initiative that, you know, I've gone out and just opened all these new stores. It's been, uh, you know, for sure I play a role in identifying the you know, the, the players that are right to bring into, into those positions to take on a franchise. But, but it's allowed us to, um, to grow in a business that, you know, it's kind of plagued with, you know, it's a bit of a mom-pa business. And so, you know, the problem sometimes with the mom-pa business is it doesn't provide opportunities for, for your employees, right? Because the mom-pa are going to be there forever. In, in our case, because we keep looking for new opportunities for them, you know, we open a new office in Barrie. We open a new office in Thunder Bay or, uh, you know, across the country. It's, it's fueled our growth. So you've really created a culture of entrepreneurship within the company. And that's that's what I'm hearing, right? 100%. I mean, there's, you know, that attracts people to, to AMJ. That helps us retain people because they know that they have offer future opportunities to actually go out and own their own location or be partners. I mean, we've got lots of locations where, you know, there's five or six partners and they work well together and, uh, you know, bring their families into the business and look for opportunities to expand. That has been, you know, I think the key to our success. That, that and I think one of the things that traps entrepreneurs in terms of growing their business is letting go of micromanaging, right? So when you, when you open a new, when you have one location, you want to open a second location, you really need to learn how to, to empower somebody. So that, you know, when we open a new office in Halifax, for example, if I'm going to put a leader in Halifax, look, I want to oversee at a higher level, but I need to let that person run their own business, make their own mistakes, you know, lose a little money, make a little money. And I think that, you know, the challenge for a lot of entrepreneurs is that they have a hard time letting that go. So my advice to, you know, entrepreneurs, if you want to grow your business, it's come up with a model that you can replicate that, you know, has all the keys to what made you successful in the first place. Find the right person and let them do their job, you know, oversee it, you know, be there for, you know, for the big mistakes, but don't micromanage it or, I mean, you just demotivate people and, and, and you'll be, you know, you'll never grow your business. It sounds like your, your superpower really is around nurturing and developing team teams and team players. Bruce, what would you say your, your kryptonite or what we like to say is, is the, the things that get into your way? Uh, well, I said it a little earlier, the world is full of people that will tell you how you can't do things or why something didn't work or, you know, we've always done it this way. And so you know, that is the kryptonite. That's the, you know, that's the stumbling block that I come across most often when we're trying to innovate or bring in a new program or try something new or different, you know, changes, you know, there's a, you know, there's a hundred thousand books written on change, you know, change is a challenge for people. So I think, you know, being a good leader is finding ways to introduce change to people in a way that 
you know, is exciting and, and motivating. And, um, and sometimes you just have to say, hey, folks, you're probably not going to like this at first. But, you know, you've heard our good friend Robin Sharma say this, Nikki. You know, change is, is messy at the beginning, but it's a beautiful thing at the end. And so, you, you know, sometimes you just got to say to people, look, you're going you're gonna to have to trust me on this. We need to do this to, you know, to grow our business. And so that, you know, that I think change and getting people to develop an attitude of, hey, this can work versus, yeah, we're not going to try this is the thing I come up against the most. But, but I like that. It's a challenge. I mean, you know, if everybody agreed with everything I said, you know, we'd, we might not be where we're at. I mean, you know, lots of times that I've come up with ideas that were goofy and, uh, you know, it's good to have a team around you that challenges you. But it's better to have a team around you that when you, you know, when the team makes a decision and says, this is what we're going to do, you need everybody on board and, and the naysayers have to get out of the way. It's, it's great. And I can hear your, one of the other superpowers is surrounding yourself with with people who support you and, and you're not doing it alone. You, it sounds like through your entire career, you've been surrounded by people who push you forward and lift you up and, and that's by your choice as well. So good on you for that. You, you also have a blog and, you know, whilst, you know, people think of entrepreneurs and people leading businesses, they think that they're just doing the business, but you've used your own intellectual property, your thoughts uh, and your leadership to inspire not only the, the people that uh, work in the companies that you, you serve, but also the charities that you work with. Tell us a little bit about how you've come about developing your own thought leadership. Um, my own thought leadership in terms of the, the charities I'm involved with or just in terms of my own thought leadership? Just your own thought leadership. Just pr- was having a look at your blog. You, 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 you put out a lot of information, a lot of your thoughts and, and business and life. How has that impacted your, your business? So, you know, I, I, I think some of the, you know, the key elements of, you know, what fuel me and, and I think keep me relevant are I love to read, right? I read a lot. I'm a big proponent of, you know, always studying. So, I mean, especially in today's world, I mean, you know, technology has changed things at such a rapid pace that if you're, if you're a leader and you're not staying on top of, you know, what's new out there, you're going to get swamped or you're just going to get um, overwhelmed with, you know, with lack of knowledge. So, so I'm a big fan of studying. I mean, I went, you know, back to university the year before last for a year and a bit, you know, actually studied all summer last year full time. Um, and, and it's not so much about, you know, me boasting about uh, going back to university and studying. It's about me saying, if you're going to be a good leader, you need to find ways to fuel yourself. Because, you know, especially as entrepreneurs get, get a little uh, isolated, you know, when you get into a leadership role. And you're, you know, in my business, we're always trying to educate and find programs for employees. But what happens at the top, you don't usually have that. And so it's, it's incumbent on the leader to find ways to, you know, attend workshops. I mean, I try to go to, you know, three or four workshops a year where I'm learning things. I'm trying to read new books. Uh, you know, one of the, you know, one of the things that, you know, makes me a little unique from the rest of the world is I've just never watched TV. So I, I don't own a TV. I don't watch TV. You know, I stay on top of the news and uh, current events through my iPad or my computer. But, but the average North American spends 38 hours a week watching TV. And Nikki, you get this question. People say to me, Bruce, where do you find time to work out? And I look, I try to work out three, no, but I try to work out three or four times a week. And, um, you know, I, I get to the gym, I work out for an hour and a bit. I like take my time chatting a little bit, having a sauna or whatever, you know, it takes me an hour and a half, sometimes two hours by the time I get back from the gym. If I do that three times a week or four times a week, that's eight hours. If the average North American is watching 34 hours a 
a week in TV, that still leaves me 26 hours a week to do all these other things that I love to do. I'm going to go flying this morning. I mean, um, you know, I think you're people going need flying to, uh, this morning. Fire. How cool is that? Yeah. That's the first time yeah, one of our guests has said, hey, after this interview, I'm going flying. That's a beautiful day for it. Yeah, no, it's a beautiful day for it. I try to, I've, I've been a private pilot for 25 years, so I try to get up every couple of weeks and just, it's one of those places where, um, Nikki, we've heard Robin Sharma talk about um, his when he's on an airplane that he gets super productive. And I'm the yeah. same way. A lot of people are the same way. And, it, and I realized that um, when it, you know, what happens when you're on an airplane, either as a passenger or especially when you're flying the airplane, is you're totally focused on what you're doing. There's no distractions. So when I'm on an airplane flying, um, you know, if I'm not paying attention, um, bad, bad things can happen. And so it's almost like meditation for me. I'll go up and I'll fly for an hour and a half and it's just you have to stay focused on what you're doing. And so I'm a big fan as well of, of focus. You know, people... Um, trying to get the distractions out of their lives and staying focused on, you know, whether it's a, a project you're working on at work, whether it's, you know, setting your goals, um, focus is, is really important. Yeah, Robin talks about those tight bubbles of total focus. Uh, and I agree with you 100%, because if, if you can take 90 minutes uh, at a time and just shut off all devices uh, and just focus on one thing, you'll get a lot done. You know, a lot more than most people get done in eight hours. And the U.S. Army has this saying, right? We get more done by 9 a.m. than most people get done all day. And that's all about waking up early and getting, getting your act together. 100%. Yeah, no, it's powerful. We'll be right back to our interview with our guest in just a moment. Hey, Michael, welcome to another edition of the segment, Strategies to Grow Your Business. So, so Michael, we're doing this segment because we want the listener, we want you to learn about these strategies so that you can implement them in helping you grow your business right away. So the one we want to talk about today, Michael, is the importance of growing your audience, growing your tribe. Why is that important, Michael? Well, quite frankly, when you get an audience of people who know, like, and trust you, business gets a lot easier because people are calling you versus the other way around. That's right. And wasn't there a famous blog post by a fellow named uh, Kevin Kelly, A Thousand True Fans, in which he said that if you had a thousand people who loved your message and cared about it and and liked you, that you could parlay that into at least a six-figure year income? Yeah, it's a cool blog post. Google it. It's, It's excellent. But essentially, the gist of it is that it's the economic model for an artist to put out their their intellectual property. In this case, it's music. But if you sell $10 to 1,000 fans, that's $100,000 a year income. So the key is to get 1,000 true fans that would actually spend $10 with you. Now, in our line of work, we're talking about uh, 1,000 fans that may spend $10,000 with you, and that changes the economic <laughs> Just model. a little bit. Just a little Just bit. Just a little, yeah. But your base may be a lot larger than that, but inside you need that 1,000 true fans that actually love what you do, get value from what you do, and you build it literally one person at a time. And you know what's awesome is that if you're listening to this and you want 
to get this strategy and other great strategies. We have this incredible free tool called the Authority Marketing Blueprint. It's a one-pager with a 10-step process on how you can grow your business by establishing yourself as the authority in your market and doing wonderful things like what Michael and I just talked about. So go ahead to authorityrocks.com and make sure you get a, a copy of that download. And Michael, it's absolutely free. Absolutely free. We're going back now to our guest and the rest of the interview. So, Bruce, one of the things that I really admire about you is uh, how down to earth you are. You're, you're always willing to share your wisdom, your knowledge, your thoughts. Have you built this into the culture of the organization? I mean, people come to you if they have a problem, if they disagree with you, can they come and have it out with you? Like, how do, how do you build that aspect of who you are into the business and have that be a competitive advantage? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think that it's... Um it's about character. It's about, you know, realizing that you know, you're not really as important as you might have thought you were. And, uh, you know, in, in our organization, you know, I really try to, to drive home to all of our managers and leaders and franchisees the fact that, you know, everybody that works for us, you know, has the right to respect and dignity. And, the, you know, most of them have children that look up to them as their heroes. And, uh, you know, I see, I see leaders that, you know, berate people or, um, you know, treat people poorly. It's like, I want to tell them like, when that person goes home at the end of the day, how do they, how do you think they're going to feel when their, when their daughter or their son says, Hey pops, how was your day? Uh, when they're beaten up. So, so I'm really big on, you know, fostering that sense of treating everybody as equals. I mean, look at, you know, I'm a leader. I've been successful as an entrepreneur, but I'm, I'm no better than, um, than anybody else in my organization. You know, I, I mean, I've, I've children that want to be proud of me. I mean, so I think, Treating people with dignity, respect, you know, appreciating the fact that, that they're humans is, is key. And, and I'm also a big fan for the underdog. I mean, I, I hate seeing people, you know, get beat up and, um, and treated poorly. Yeah, that, that's fantastic. I love that. Yeah, one, one of my mentors, uh, a man uh, named Justin Sterling, uh, taught me something. He said, you're just a jerk, just like everybody else. And you need to get over that about yourself and not, not think too highly of yourself. And I, I, I have a tendency from time to time to, uh, to get a little too serious about, uh, about things. So it's always good to remember, hey, I'm just a jerk. I can be a saint and I can be a sinner just like everybody else. Yeah, you know, I, one, one of my good friends is um, Paul Henderson, the hockey player. And, you know, I've, I've sure. known Paul for about 25 years. And, you know, one of Paul's great quotes that I, that I, I, I use uh, and give him credit for is he says, I'm not near as important as I used to think I was. <laughs> and, and, you know, and I've just learned that over life. Look, we, I think we all go through stages where, you know, you have some successes, especially when you're younger and, you know, testosterone and, and success can make you think that um, you're a little more important than you really are. And I think, you know, as you mature and you start to realize that, um, you know, I'm not as important as I used to think I am. It gives you a sense of freedom. And it also, you know, when you can teach that to younger people, you know, I try to mentor university students, young people that are getting started in their careers. You know, I try to teach them things that, that you don't have to learn by the school of hard knocks. I mean, there's, you know, there's so many lessons in business and life that, you know, if you find some good mentors who can say, hey, look, at, um, you know, I stumbled and did this, but you don't have to, right? I mean, you, 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 you don't have to be cocky. You don't have to swing the big stick when you're a leader. You teach people those, those sort of things. Um, you're doing them a big favor. I think, we, you know, I grew up in this era where, you know, we kind of thought you had to learn everything by the school of hard knocks. And 
I'm so not into that. I think if you know if you or I hold a piece of knowledge that we can share with somebody that, you know coming up and stop them from you know stumbling and and making mistake, why wouldn't you share that? I'd love to see more leaders mentor. I think it's it's a two-way street. When I mentor young female and male entrepreneurs or business grads or people starting their careers, I learn more from them or as much from them or I get as much you know, positive energy and fuel from them as I'm giving them. And it's one of the best things I do. Good on you, man. It is one of the best things you do. And here's the thing, right? It's, it's a powerful thing that you recognize that mentoring people and giving to people gives something back to you. It's the whole reason I exist. The whole reason Michael and I uh, do this podcast is we we tell people don't do it alone. Don't don't take all the hard knocks. You know, come and be a part of this uh, community in in some way. So uh, when people when someone listens to this podcast and they're an entrepreneur or they're thinking about becoming an entrepreneur, they're working at a company and, and they're saying, you know what, it's time for me to go build my own dreams. The entire reason this podcast exists is to give them the tools, the tips, the strategies to help them be able to do that better. And that's why what I do in, inside my business for people, if, if, if someone's making a mistake in some area of their life or their business uh, and, and I'm able to help. That's why I do it. I know that's why Michael does it. And that's uh, what a lot of the people inside of our uh, our mastermind programs and other programs that we do for people are all about. So wholeheartedly, 100% agree with what you just said. And, and you, you, and I, you and I talked about, you know, what are some of the things that I, you know, that uh, the, the key pieces of advice that, you know, that I would pass along to young up and coming entrepreneurs or people who want to become entrepreneurs. One of the pieces of advice I give is don't be afraid to call the Isidore Sharps of the world, or the Bruce Bowser is not that you know I'm in any way in his class, but don't be afraid to call people and say, look, could I spend a few minutes with you? I know when I was a young banker, we had a you know really prominent, successful businessman in, in Halifax that you know just everything he touched seemed to, to go well. And um, I'd met him a couple of times at functions. So I'd read somewhere in a book that, you know, if you want to be successful, spend time around successful people. So, yep. so I called it a hundred years ago and I said, look at um, <laughs> You don't know me, but my name is Bruce Bowser. I'm wondering if um, you know, Mr. Steele might have time to have a coffee with me. And she said, what are you looking for? And I said, look, I just wanted to spend a half an hour asking a few questions and you know, interested in, in, in how we got to where he was at. And she's like, really? And I said, um, yes. And she, I said, look, I'm not, I'm not looking for anything. Anyway, long story short, um, he became a mentor and, the same has happened to me, and you know, lots of us have these stories where, you know, you spend some time with, especially a young person coming out of university or starting their career, and you give them some advice. I mean, it's it's refreshing. Um, it keeps me young, but I, I tell people, don't be afraid to pick up the phone and call. I mean, you, you, I don't get a lot of calls or emails. I mean, you know, maybe three times, four times a month, I'll spend time, you know, half an hour, forty-five minutes, or an hour having coffee with with somebody that, that I'm mentoring. But most of us, I think, would be happy to spend time with people when they, when they reach out. So I, I encourage people to do that. That's fantastic, Bruce. Now watch yourself. People listening to this podcast may very well take you up on that. <laughs> but I, I spoke with, um, you know, to a group of MBA students at, at Ryerson um, sometime in the last six months. And I said the same thing. Look, here's my email address. Write it down. And if you'd like to, to get together, I promise I'll find time to have a coffee. There's 100, 100 students there. Eight of them. Um, reached out. Um, you know, it doesn't mean the other 92, maybe the other 92 weren't interested, but they reached out and we had coffee. You know, one of them was looking, they were just graduating, looking to get into um, 
a consulting company. I had a really good friend at one of the consulting companies. I said, hey, look, I'll just make an introduction, and they're not working there. I mean, you know, it doesn't mean that I'm going to get everybody a job, but it's powerful. People should take advantage of that. Yeah, they, they really should, and it, and and it, it, it's 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 a symbol of the power of generosity. Good on you for doing that, man. I know that uh, you believe in that. In our conversations, we've gone over that, and our good friend uh, Mark McCoy believes in that, and so does uh, Robin Sharma. This is it, it, it's it's good company for you to be around. And I got to say, it's kind of cool that you know Paul Henderson. I, I mean, he he's a Canadian icon for scoring the winning goal in the Canada Soviet series, and and I know that Mark trained Paul for a while as well. I guess I guess. Uh, the three of you must have hung out, but it's it's just cool, man, that you're flying a plane this morning and you know all these cool dudes and you're all about helping people. That's one of the things I love about you and respect about you the most. Uh, look, I mean, one of the, what, what, are the, what are the great privileges of my life that, you know, working at, at AMJ Campbell or where I've been is, you know, I've got to meet some of these uh, amazing people. And, yeah, I mean, you learn that, um, you know, they're humans. I mean, they've achieved remarkable things, but, um, yeah, it's just been a, a huge blessing for me just to, to be able to meet so many of these people. Fantastic. So, Bruce, we like to wrap up each episode by asking our guest, in this case you, what are your top three expert action steps that you recommend our listener take on immediately in order to help them take their business and their life to the next level? So what are your top three? Yeah, so, I, I mean, I think top one for me has been networking and I call it making good noise. So, you know, over the years, I've, you know, I've just tried to, to build my network, um, you know, if I meet somebody I'll, I'll take their card. I'll, I'll send them a, you know, a note, say it was nice meeting you. And, you know, on LinkedIn, I mean, I have you know, literally thousands of connections on LinkedIn. Networking is, is key. It doesn't matter what business you're in, unless you're, you know, you're a sole, a sole practitioner of something, you know, we all need to network. It's been, it's been one of the keys to my success. So networking would be, uh, you know, one of my number ones. I talked a second ago about the practice of reaching out to other entrepreneurs and leaders and looking to them for advice. Um, and, you know, I think that's one of the most valuable educations you can get is, is reaching out to, to other entrepreneurs. So you know, even in my own business, when I've looked to grow into other areas, we got into the shredding business, for example. You know, I reached out to a leader in the shredding business and said, hey, can I spend a little time with you? We're, you know, we're bringing this into our business. And, uh, and he was happy to. So you know, reaching out to, to entrepreneurs. And I think you know, probably the, the third and, for me, one of the most important um, elements of entrepreneurial success any success is just always learning like you know um, the day you think you you know it all is um, is when you're going to start um, tripping and stumbling so i'm i'm always trying to stay on the cutting edge uh, you know i love technology I, I love i think we live in one of the most exciting times ever in the you know the history of humankind uh, the speed at which technology is is changing and you know i, I see too many leaders in my age in their 50s that have been in that job for a little bit and they you get complacent and I'll talk to them about something we're doing and say, Bruce, like I'm going to retire in five years. Um, you know, and I don't want, I just think you always got to be learning, um, reading, attending conferences. I mean, and I say, you know, go to three or four conferences a year and they're not expensive and they don't have to be, you know, you don't have to go to Hawaii for them. You, you can do them right in your hometown, but you know, look for conferences and it doesn't have to be in your industry. You know, I love going to tech conferences. I love going to health conferences. I love going to conferences on how you, you know, you become a better person. Fueling that passion about learning, you make that. And it doesn't happen by accident, by the way. So, you know, as we talked about earlier, if you don't have time, Robin Chairman and I have known each other for 25 years. Robin has this 5 a.m. club. You know, when that first started, it was about you know, not enough time in the day. We'll get up an hour earlier. Or what I say is, 
look at do an inventory of how much time you're spending watching TV. Uh, again, I'm not wrapping TV. I'm just saying if you're you know if you're watching like the average North American 30 to 40 hours of TV, cut it back and spend you know five hours a week reading. You know spend you know two hours a week going to a class and and learning something. So always learning. I love what you just said. And by the way, I've got a conference for you. Uh, we can talk to you about it offline that you might be interested in attending, one that Michael and I run. But uh, I, I'm a big believer in everything you said, uh, especially the learning side. Uh, one of Robin's conferences, he talked about doing a, uh, at least a new workshop uh, a quarter. And I make sure I, I do at least six workshops a quarter plus another course myself. So I, I really believe in what you're saying. I think it's important that other people do. So, Bruce, is there anything right now that you're up to that you'd like to let the, the folks know about that they could get involved with? A bunch of charities. Uh, I'm, I, I sit on the board of an organization that supports the families of, of fallen soldiers called um, Canada Company, which has been a lot of fun. been on that board for, for years. So. You know, if you look at uh, some of the stuff on our AMJ website or, or my own website uh, for charities we're involved with. But, but one of the things that uh, is exciting in my life right now is um, I've, I've been working on a book with, I think you've met Greg Wells. He was one of the speakers at one sure. of Robin's conferences. Greg, Greg was one of our first guests on the podcast. He's a good man. Yeah. So Greg and I have been working on a book for the last year and a bit that will come out in um, in November. And, and I think it's... Um, I mean, obviously, I think it's a cool book. It, the 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 book is called The Focus Effect, and it's, it's the subtitle is Change Your Work, Change Your Life. And it really is. Uh, we look at you know when we live in this day of and time of huge digital distraction to the point where they say the average employee today is spending you know 30% of their time checking social media, being on some form of um, you know texting, um, Facebook, whatever. How can you perform well when you're when you're distracted all that time? So this book has been a great project. It's, it's you know certainly changed my life. Uh, we've we've made changes at uh, at AMJ Campbell in terms of how we um, manage distraction, and it's both sides by the way. So it's not just about uh, managing the employees as a company. Uh, somehow over the last you know, ten years, because that's how long we've got this iPhone, and and iPhones really changed uh, the world, and I love it. But somehow over the last ten years, employers have come to think that we have 24-7 access to our employees. So, we, you know, we, I would send emails and, you know, whenever I, whenever I was working without any regard for, you know, the employee that was receiving the emails. We've developed this new, new policy at head office where we don't send or receive emails before 6 a.m., after 6 p.m., or on the weekends. And you actually get a bounce back if you send me an email before 6 a.m., after 6 p.m., or on the weekends that says, you know, AMJ's adopted this new lifestyle work balance. I just think it's incredibly important that we, um, you know, that we, we create some balance. And, and you know this, Nick, you can't, you can't focus on something when you're, you know, you're constantly stopping to check your text or, you know, looking at all the pop-ups up, pop on your screen. So, so this book is, um, has been a lot of fun because we've, you know, we've done a lot of research and have done a, you know, a couple pilot projects where we've, you know, we've actually implemented this with huge success. I love it. So when uh, the book's coming out in November, why don't we get both you and Greg on, on an episode to talk about the book and promote the book and we'll have it come out, uh, the episode come out for you right around when your book's coming out. So you'll get a bigger bang for your buck that way. Would love to. Yeah, we'd love to have you on. I, I, I love the message of the book. Uh, I, I know, uh, Michael, you feel the same way, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, it's, it's my, you're, you're speaking my language here. Yeah, no, it's it's fantastic. Well, if, if you hear, 
you get me going in the book, Nikki, but I say this to, you know, um, maybe one of the other things, if you ask, if you ask me the three things, but I, I tell people, like, you know, every study in the world shows that, you know, healthier, happier people make for better employees. They make for better everything. So, you know, why wouldn't we try to put more of that in the workplace? And, you know, when you're distracted all the time and you're on 24-7, you're getting texts and emails the weekends and the evenings, it's like you never get a chance to shut things down. You know, that your stress levels are just up all the time. Somehow we got to drive home this message that, um, you know, healthy is not a bad thing. Balance is not a bad thing. You know, I mean, our sick days and our pilot project that we did, our sick days went to zero. Like, I mean, literally, you know, in this six-month project, we did, it went to zero. Zero. Um, because zero. people were shut off. Yeah, they were shut off in the, in the weekends. I mean, like, somebody's going to get a cold and miss a day. So it's not, it's just, you know, our satisfaction went, went up significantly when we surveyed the employees because they knew when they were going home in the weekend that they weren't going to get emails. I mean, unless it was urgent. And, you know, so we do have this option. If, it's a, if you're a customer or client, you need to get hold of us, you can push a button on the link and it, and it gets right through to you, or you can call my cell number. But the truth is, you know, we lived for years where we didn't have to contact people on the weekends and the evenings to get work done. Um, doesn't mean I don't work in the evenings or the weekend. I just don't ruin other people's work weekends and evenings by sending them emails. They get them the next morning or they get them Monday. Yeah, that's, that's, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. And it shows people there's a respect for who they are and a respect for their time. And given, given how much of their time gets spent at work, seeing that respect really helps build their allegiance to, to you, the organization, and their teammates. That's fantastic. I love it. So, Bruce, we'll definitely have you and Greg on together for that podcast. Uh, I know Greg very well, as, as, as I know you very well. He's a great man. He was, I think, guest number three that we ever had on the podcast. So uh, it'll be great to have him back. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast, my friend. Really, really enjoyed this. And looking forward to having you back when the book's out. Thank you so much, guys. Appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks a lot. Michael, great podcast. He's he's uh, he's the real deal. Grew a business from 34 million to several hundred million. Innovative thinker. He's uh, in his late 50s. He's constantly learning. He's humble. He gives out his email address and cell phone number at speeches. How many CEOs of several hundred million dollar companies do you know who do that? <laughs> Not many. I'll tell you how many others I know other than Bruce Bowser, zero. The man is incredible. His message is a great one. I really like how he's all about don't do it alone. I really like how he's all about making a difference for people. Yeah, he's, he's, uh, he's inspiring and he's, he's up to some really cool things. And I'm looking forward to having him and Greg on when they launch that book. Sounds like a real, a real good one. Absolutely, it does. That's awesome, man. All right. That wraps another episode of the Business of Thought Leadership podcast. To learn more about today's guest and to get all sorts of valuable free business building resources, you can go to thebusinessofthoughtleadership.com. Until next time, goodbye. You've been listening to the Business of Thought Leadership with Nikki Ballou and Michael Palmer. For more information and to download the resources mentioned in this episode, please visit us at thebusinessofthoughtleadership.com. Thank you for listening.